and welcome to the JNA podcast. My name is Dr. Jacqueline Morano, neurosurgical anesthesiologist at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. On behalf of the Training Engagement Committee, I'll be presenting a summary from the July 2021 Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology, Volume 33, Issue 3, pages 195 to 202. This month's article is titled, Treatment of Subarachnoid Hemorrhage Associated Delayed Cerebral Ischemia with Milrinone, a Review and Proposal, by Investigators Thomas D. Bernier, PharmD, MBA, Michael J. Schnotz, PharmD, and Dr. Saif Izzy, MD, and colleagues. So to begin, <clears throat> what do we already know about this topic? The incidence of aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage is between 9.7 and 14.5 per 100,000 hospitalized in the United States, and between 2 and 16.5 per 100,000 hospitalized globally. We know that early securement of the ruptured aneurysm is key and has been shown to improve clinical outcomes, secondary to a reduction in bleeding rates. Despite early securement, these patients still may experience secondary sequelae, such as rebleeding, hydrocephalus, seizures, infections, cerebral vasospasm, and delayed cerebral ischemia, otherwise abbreviated as DCEI. All of these can lead to neurological decline. DCI occurs in approximately one-third of patients after aneurysm rupture and significantly increases morbidity and mortality. As many as 15 to 20% will die or develop ischemic stroke. These infarcts result in poor long-term functional outcomes. DCI typically occurs between 4 and 14 days after the initial bleed, with symptoms consisting of neurologic changes. The diagnosis of DCI is made after exclusion of other etiologies, ruled out with clinical exam, imaging, and labs. Given the time course of DCI and its overlap with vasospasm, DCI was previously thought to be complications of vasospasm. However, more recently, evidence suggests that the cause of aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage-related DCI is likely multifactorial and a result of vascular and neural changes, including inflammation, seizures, and metabolic dysfunctions. Vasospasm likely contributes to the development of DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage, but it should be noted that they can occur together or independently. Therefore, expanding research into therapeutics that address the multifactorial etiology may be beneficial in improving clinical outcomes. Treatments that have been explored and studied include the use of dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers, such as oral nemotipine. These have been studied and used as prophylactic agent for the treatment of cerebral vasospasm DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. Oral nemotipine, with its presumed cellular neuroprotective mechanism independent of its vasodilatory effect, is recommended in all patients with subarachnoid hemorrhage to improve neurologic outcomes. Additional treatments that have been explored in the treatment of DCI include intraarterial vasodilators such as nicardipine and verapamil, and the induction of systemic hypertension. However, these interventions are associated with significant adverse risk, and the evidence of benefit has been not inconclusive. Milrinone, however, has been identified as showing some promise in improving outcomes in the aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage patient with DCI. This article reviews investigations that evaluated the use of both intraarterial and intravenous milrinone for the treatment of DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage with a focus on the pharmacology, administration, overall efficacy and safety, and the role that milrinone can play in the treatment of refractory DCI. After the review, the authors then proposed a protocol for the use of milrinone for the treatment of DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. 
For their review, they did a systematic search of the Medline database from 1945 through May of 2020 and the Embase database from 1974 through May of 2020. They evaluated the use of melanone for the treatment of DCI following aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. In their search, they included the keywords of melanone and aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. Studies and articles included in the review contained patients diagnosed with aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage with successful securement of bleeding whom had undergone treatment with milrinone for DCI and cerebral vasospasm. Studies that were excluded included, one, if they had a non-clinical primary endpoint, two, where milrinone was used for an indication other than DCI or cerebral vasospasm, three, where additional experimental interventions were used beyond milrinone, four, where the root of milrinone administration was not intraarterial or intravenous, five, if they only contained single patient case reports, and six, if they were also review articles themselves. <clears throat> so now let's review the pharmacology of milrinone and why this could be significant in the treatment of aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage and DCI. Well, milrinone, as we know, antagonizes the phosphodiesterase 3 enzyme that hydrolyzes cyclic adenosine monophosphate otherwise known as cyclic AMP, and cyclic guanosine monophosphate, otherwise known as cyclic GMP. The increase in cyclic AMP leads to an increase in inotropy, or the force of cardiac contraction, and lucitropy, with the ability of the myocardium to relax. While increases in cyclic GMP lead to smooth muscle relaxation in both arterial and venous vasculatures. This results in an increase in cardiac output and vas vasodilatation, which is why it is used in the treatment of advanced decompensated heart failure and cardiogenic shock. The dose used for this indication ranges from one, from, excuse me, from 0.1 to 0.75 mics per kilogram per minute. While this mechanism of action supports the use of milrinone in the cardiac patient population, how this mechanism is beneficial in treating DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage remains unclear. Theories as to how and why milrinone may be beneficial in DCI treatment after an, aneurysmal, after an aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage include, one, creating a reduction in vascular tone, which may contribute directly to lessening the severity of the cerebral vasospasm. Two, it increases cardiac output without vasoconstriction caused by vasopressors, which may be advantageous. Three, improvement of microcirculation, excuse me, improvement of cerebral microcirculation due to an increase in cyclic GMP. Or four, reductions in cyclic AMP results in reduction, reduced cytokine production, resulting in an in anti-inflammatory effect. It is important to note that milrinone has no known effect on reducing other neurologic changes that can occur in aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage, such as seizure and metabolic systemic changes. Therefore, in theory, this could be, helpful, this could be a helpful tool in the treatment of DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. So what did the review show? Of the six studies they reviewed evaluating the use of melanone for the treatment of DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage, three assessed the initial intraarterial administration followed by IV administration, two assessed IV administration alone, and two assessed the escalation of melanone therapy for refractory DCI. From the review, it appears that intraarterial and IV melanone might be efficacious in the treatment of DCI. An analyst, an analyst of aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage patients admitted between 2001 and 2013 found that 63% had excellent outcomes, with modified Rankin scores less than or equal to 1 at 12 months. However, only 29% of patients with this outcome had DCI during this hospital course. 
In addition, of those who did develop DCI, between 65 and 77% were able to achieve functional status with modified rankine scores less than or equal to 2 after being treated with intraarterial and IV milrinone. However, these studies, however, the studies reviewed looked at were all derived from single sender case series and not randomized control trials. So although it appears to be very efficacious, the definitive clinical benefit remains unclear. In terms of safety, both intraarterial and IV milrinone appear to be safe. The most consistently reported adverse outcome was hypotension, which typically occurred with the escalation of IV therapy and resolved with vasopressor administration. Additional adverse events included arrhythmias, which occurred in 0 to 7% of patients, and even less frequently, myocardial ischemia, which was found in 2 out of 555 patients. Of note, myocardial ischemia only occurred in those whom received IV milrinone at higher doses than standard cardiovascular dosing. Finally, caution should be taken in patients with severe renal dysfunction, as milrinone is renally cleared and could result in excessive milrinone buildup. So keeping in mind that more research was needed, and with the knowledge that milrinone appeared to be efficacious and safe in the treatment of DCI, the authors developed the following protocol for the treatment of DCI with milrinone. Much of the dosing and rates of medications and boluses were based upon the Montreal Neurological Institute's experiences. In their protocol, it is recommended that IV milrinone monotherapy should be initiated in patients who met the following criteria. One, they had a confirmed aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage with a secured aneurysm. Two, they had new symptoms consistent with DCI, which they defined as a new sustained focal neurological deficit lasting at least one hour that is not attributed to any other clinical event or diagnosis through imaging or lab measurements. The new focal deficit was defined as a new change in level of consciousness or orientation or a rapidly de occurring deficit. Three, these patients had no severe cardiac compromise or other significant hemodynamic instability. And four, they had a creatinine clearance greater than 30 mLs per minute. Milrinone therapy, they noted, should not replace or lead to the removal of any element of established medical care for DCI. For their determination of severity of vasospasm, they used radiographic classification using compute tomography angiography or digital subtraction angiography. They defined mild vasospasm as that of less than 25% of vessel luminal narrowing, moderate between 25 and 50%, and severe being that greater than 50% of vessel luminal narrowing. The protocol they developed is as follows. If the patient develops symptomatic DCI, first administer 500 ml crystalloid bolus. If symptoms resolve, continue to monitor. If they did not, administer milrinone 100 mics per kilogram bolus with a maximum dose of 12 milligrams. This was to be followed by a continuous infusion at 0.75 micrograms per kilogram per minute. Continue to titrate the IV milrinone infusion in 0.25 micrograms per kilogram per minute increments every 30 to 60 minutes. The target of the infusion rate was based upon the severity of the vasospasm. If mild vasospasm, target an infusion rate of 0.75 to 1.25 mics per kilogram per minute. If moderate, target an infusion rate of 1 to 1.5 mics per kilogram per minute. If severe, target an infusion rate of 1 to 2 mics per kilogram per minute. If symptom resolution, maintain the IV infusion rate for 72 hours after last symptomatic episode. If no symptom resolution, then administer intraarterial milrinone in a 4 to 10 milligram bolus with additional boluses if the response is inadequate, being sure not to exceed 24 milligrams total. 
then resume the IV milrinone infusion at the previous rate and titrate to the maximum rate of 2.0 micrograms per kilogram per minute. If symptoms persist or if symptom reoccurrence occurs, consider increasing the IV infusion rate, administering intraarterial milrinone, or proceeding to angioplasty. Adverse events to look out for included hemodynamic instability from baseline. That was defined as a mean arterial pressure decrease of 20% or more, or a mean arterial pressure less than that of 75 millimeters of mercury. If this occurs, first administer a 500 ml crystalloid bolus. If this persists, then administer vasopressors. If it continues to persist, then reduce the milrinone infusion by 0.25 mics per kilogram per minute every one to two hours until hemodynamic stability is reestablished. Patients on this protocol should have serial electrocardiograms performed or be on continuous cardiac monitoring with each escalation of dose. In patients with potential to develop cardiac ischemia, cardiac troponin should be measured and trended. Additional safety outcomes to consider outside of the incidence of hypotension are the need for vasopressors, incidence of arrhythmias, electrolyte abnormalities, and the rare risk of myocardial ischemia. In conclusion, the evidence in this review is limited but does suggest that intraarterial and IV milrinone are safe and efficacious for DCI vasospasm and could be associated with improved long-term functional outcome. However, there are limitations. This is a review of retrospective case studies and single cohort centers. To determine true efficacy and safety of melanoma in the treatment of DCI, larger multicenter clinical trials will be needed. The goal of this review was to identify a possible preliminary protocol that could be utilized in further evaluation into the safety and efficacy of melanoma for treating DCI after aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhage. What is clear is that more research needs to be conducted in this area, but melanoma does seem to show some promise. And with that, we will conclude the journal article of the month podcast. Thank you so much for joining me.